0: Chris O'Connor here. Join our fabulous curmudgeonly community on Facebook at facebook.com/slash group curmudgeon rock. Also look out for a Spotify playlist dedicated to this episode. Now let's get started.
1: This is the Curmudgeon Rock Report, and this is your podcast made by Rock Geek Iconoclastic Outsiders for Rock Geek Iconoclastic Outsiders. For those of you who lament that rock music has gone the way of jazz and slipped into niche genre status, we are here to keep that flame alive by providing insight, analysis, recommendations, and honest takes, not hot takes. And hey, there's a good chance you'll learn some rock history you never knew before. When Yours Truly, Curmudgeons met 30 years ago as freshman students at Syracuse University, we bonded over music. There was also wrestling, movies, and sports, but music was the main thing. In the fall of 1993, I was still enthralled to grunge and was falling in love with R.E.M. and their back catalog. Chris, however, while liking most of the same stuff I liked, was particularly taken during this time by a new band that had just broken big the past summer by the name of Blind Melon. I had already heard the hit single No Rain, and it didn't really make a great impression on me. To me, it just sounded like a second-rate Grateful Dead knockoff. Of course, I was several years away from developing a strong affection for the Dead's music, and I was still a year away from discovering Fish. The Black Crows were more my jam when it came to retro revival rock. Nevertheless, Chris kept chirping into my ear about how great this Blind Melon album was, and how they were going to be huge. He even went out of his way to make a very high-quality cassette copy of the album and gave it to me. I still remember that evening when he dropped by my dorm room to give me the tape. I was listening to the Rolling Stones' 1969 classic album Let It Bleed and in the middle of realizing that this was one of the greatest records I had ever heard in my life. I cannot forget Chris sitting there with me on my bed shooting the shit while listening to the Stones and him having the audacity to actually say he thought Let It Bleed sucked. Thankfully, he has since amended his opinion of that record to the tune of a 180 degree turn, but the conversation that fall, 93 evening, soon turned to Blind Melon and that cassette he had so graciously given for me. He encouraged me to listen to it on headphones later on before insisting that I put the tape on so we can listen to at least a little of it together. It was at this moment that Chris uttered the words that would live on for as long as I have a memory. Blind Melon is the best CD I have. Bold words indeed. Well, I eventually did give it the headphone listen, and I thought it was just alright. A bit jam bandish, lots of noodly guitar work, some pretty complex rhythms, and the singer wrote some pretty deep lyrics however over time i have to admit that the album grew on me it got better with each listen and its many charms unfolded as all acquired taste albums do now in my middle age i recognize blind melon's self-titled debut for what it is one of the most unique and interesting rock albums of the 1990s in that it's the midway point between hip alternative rock and classic rock-oriented jam band music. No, I don't think the album is as awe-inspiring as Chris thought it was in his young and naive days, but it's an album that's worth reminding people of. If Neutral Milk Hotel, Lauren Hill, Portishead, The Breeders, and Jeff Buckley can have entire legacies based on one album, then surely we can afford Blind Melon the same status and a ticket out of the one-hit wonder gutter. So let's do a little deep dive into this much underrated album by this much underrated band as the Curmudgeon Rock Report brings you, Blind Melon is the best CD I have. Well, not the best CD I have, but what 18-year-old Chris thought back in 1993. (music)
0: So Blind Melon really was the best CD I had when I was 18. It was it was better than Led Zeppelin IV, it was better than Dark Side of the Moon, it was better than Hotel California, it was better than Quadrophenia. It was my album, you know, that spoke to my sensibilities for where I was at when I was 18 and anybody listening can kind of relate to this because you all had an album when you were 18 that you were ridiculously passionate about and you know was had that immature sensibility that poured into that record and then three years later you're like man you all had it
1: yeah yeah but you think i look back when i was 18 and i think of those records i still kind of love those albums though yeah yeah I mean, I I I still love the Breeders' Last Flash. I still love Nirvana's In Utero. I still love, um, you know. Okay, yeah, I did fall out a bit from Stone Temple Pilots' Core, but I got yeah. back into it years
0: later. I realized, oh, yeah, no, no and that, that is thing, a great record. I'm not I'm you not know? saying that I don't like uh, this Blind Melon record anymore. I mean, I love it actually. It's it's still yeah. one of my favorite records of all time. Yeah. But it's but what I'm saying is 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 you know uh, in terms of perspective. Yeah, I was a little short on perspective, man. <laughs> yeah, and and I remember actually when I first met you, you were you were bashing out to uh, S.D.P.'s core. That was yeah. kind of your jam on cassette. On cassette,
1: yeah. yeah. I, it
0: took me another year before I got into CDs. <laughs> yeah, I was gonna say CDs hit when I was uh, when I was a sophomore in high school, and uh, my first CD ever was Hotel California
1: mm. and
0: Blind Melon that was a better cd that i owned than hotel california (laughs) so that's all there is to it oh i'm telling you, you you know where uh rock albums are still better than anything else on the planet right gee where is that that's in the parallel universe uh which is still a beautiful and wonderful place that we visit on every episode where green is blue and dark is light All is right with the world because rock is still dominant and long live rock. Uh, It is not a niche. It is central on people's brains. You know, people live for the big hair and the leather jackets and the fuck you attitude. And uh, that's basically a fancy way of saying we cover new and newish records that we think that you ought to be into as heavily as you might be into the Taylor Swift's and the Beyonce's. Uh, Of the world. Uh, That said, uh, it's kind of interesting this uh, week. uh, Arturo and I are both covering young female kind of rockish singer songwriters. Uh, You know, we, you know, we're a little bit uh, opposed on uh, which is better or uh, which is more admirable. But uh, let's get into that now. Arturo, who are you covering yeah. uh, on this episode's Parallel Universe?
1: Yeah, this is uh, the new album or, or newest album by uh, Squirrel Flower. Uh, interesting name. And the name of the album is Tomorrow's Fire. Squirrel Flower is the musical project of Boston-based singer-songwriter Ella Williams, And uh, her, or there if it's a band, whatever, but it's really her. It's a musical project. Her fifth album is by far her best one yet. In a world where quality rock music is still a part of the pop cultural zeitgeist, this would be her breakout album that would put singles on rock radio and her face on the cover of magazines. To put it bluntly, this is the kind of folk-tinged indie alternative rock that boy genius wish they could have made Mm -hmm. in fact i'll take it a step further and say that in this universe if ella williams had the corporate label backing and high quality public relations that the ladies of boy genius have she would be a bigger star than any of the three of them that's that's, how that's bold that's how good this album is alley light is an exquisite slice of rocked up country pop That blows away 90% of what constitutes country music these days, not to mention the atrocious bro country that's slathered (laughs) on the radio in this universe, right? Um, When a plant is dying is a better slow burn, corrosive guitar, crazy horse jam than anything Neil Young has done in 20 years Uh, The indie guitar power pop of Inda Skate Park, all one word, is catchier, hookier, and more authentic than anything soccer mommy or snail mail ever do. And I don't mind those latter two bands. Uh, Canyon has the primal power and cut to the gut emotional lyricism that evokes the best of early PJ Harvey. Even when she slows it down to an ethereal, folky level, it's way more convincing and haunting than the juvenile, whiny mope fest that so many of her peers indulge in. Our next episode is going to reveal each of our top 10 albums of the year. Spoiler alert, this will be high on my list.
0: Chris? No. Oh, okay. I, that, that, surprises me. I, you know, this album, I do like in the skate park. I think that's a fun single and, and yeah. And in, in a more fair and just universe, that would be on the, uh, on rock radio uh, in heavier rotation. Uh, the rest of it I would say is merely tuneful and uh, it's a little, it's a little too middle uh, brow uh, for me. It's just, it's, Again, it's tuneful. It's got its influences. You know, it's got that alt rock influence. It's got that folk influence. Uh, Dare I say that a little bit of shoegaze, just a little bit. Uh, But I I don't know, maybe and and this could be the thing that if you juxtapose it against the album that I'm covering this week, that maybe that's a little too much of the same kind of uh, the same kind of ballpark as far as female singer songwriter rock that evokes uh that evokes the alternative days of uh the late 1990s in some respects uh so i think that that's probably what's skewing my notion of of squirrel flower Uh, i'll definitely have to check her out more uh definitely compelling but i'm just i'm not as moved as you are i see it as more of a three and a quarter star record yeah. So well,
1: that—that's exactly how I see your record.
0: <laughs> oh, okay. Well, hey, at least we agree to disagree. Yay. Right. Um, you know. So it's—it's uh, it's, speaking of which, uh, while we're on that, and while we're speaking of uh, this, I guess you could say that is it a trend? I don't know, but there is all of a sudden a rush of young female singer-songwriter types that do uh, confessional type lyricism. Uh, and with a slight uh, rebel edge, uh, Arturo already mentioned the ladies of Boy Genius. Uh, Lacey, uh, Lu- Lucy Dacus is the best of these ladies, by the way. By far. By far. far. By far. And uh, But you've got Phoebe Bridgers and you've got Lana Del Rey, I guess, in some respects. No, 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 no. Lana L- 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 Del
1: Rey's not, not there. There's nothing rebellious about her. Come yeah. on, dude. It, yeah, she just, I know. Just, she just does she, the same she whiny mope. The whi- the same whiny, mopey piano love ballad over and over and over and over. But again. hey, she, she writes the same song in the same album over and over again.
0: <laughs> yeah, I mean, at least, at least she thinks she's, at least she thinks she's uh, a rebel. But anyway, uh, so, so one the artist that I'm covering this week, uh, her, she goes by the artist uh, artist name, Uh not bombshell, Shell, Get it? And uh, it's no coincidence, probably, that she is now serving as the opening act for Liz Fair as Fair sure. embarks on a tour celebrating the 30th anniversary of her brilliant album Exile in Guyville. Right. Uh, why? Makes sense, because she sounds just like Liz Fair. Yeah, she sounds <laughs> a hell of a lot like Liz Fair. She has uh, <laughs> she has the same kind of melodic sensibilities, uh, the same kind of, uh, no, not quite as explicit as, as, as Liz Fair, but the same kind of... Uh, uh, here, here! I'm, I'm up to my neck in boys, and here's here's a few songs uh, about those. So about Blanchelle, uh she. Uh, this is the uh, project, and the, this is the band, and this is the inspiration of a, a young woman in her twenties named Sabrina Teitelbaum. Uh She comes from the mean streets of Midtown Manhattan. Uh, another uh, another commonality of a lot of these girls a lot of these women are that they come from pretty fairly privileged backgrounds i mean it kind of helps when you're trying to break in the record business these days uh and uh for years she uh she performed as baum uh but that never quite got off the ground and so she switched things up and adopted this blonde shell persona and this album which is self-titled blonde shell Uh, was released uh, this past April of 2023, and I think it merited coverage now because she's on the verge of crossing over into the other universe. I I mentioned that she's got the opening gig uh, for Liz Fair, and also this album, surprisingly enough, and this did surprise me, is uh, uh, number 11 on Rolling Stone's year-end album, Best Of. List Rolling Stone's year
1: end album has a lot of bad albums on there, dude. Yeah,
0: they're, they're, I, I know it does, but there's but,
1: nothing but, cutting edge about
0: them anymore. Yeah, <laughs> there, there, it's a surprise. There's like four or five records in the top 20 that actually merit uh, being in the top 20, uh, yeah. you know, amazingly enough. But yeah, uh, there, nothing cutting edge about Rolling Stone. But however, she, sh- she does show up at uh, uh, number 11. So it just kind of shows that uh, fairy tales can come true. Uh, so about this record, uh, obviously there's a Liz fair influence. So you can just imagine that it's very solid, uh, alternative rock. Uh, it doesn't, it, it's, it's mid tempo and it's more soft rock done hard. If you know what I mean, it's soft rock with an edge, uh, very, uh, seldom, uh, does she ramp up with, uh, with big guitars. Uh, it's not quite as piano-ish as a Fiona Apple might be. Mm-hmm. And, but it's definitely not quite as balls out as like the Breeders uh, right. might be. So it's kind of like middle, middle, middle of the pack. I think that uh, there's. So basically, some... she's just as middle as Squirrel Flower is. <laughs> yes. She's just as middle as Squirrel Flower is. Uh, I, I do say this. I think there are some songs, uh, you know, s- some of these women that are, are you know, the Taylor Swifts, uh, at, you know, in terms of the confessional pop, she's kind of the queen. But Lucy Dacus and some of those. I think do have an influence on Blanchelle's, uh songcraft and some of her lyrics. Uh, one of the highlights of this uh, album is a song called "Sepsis," which is an amusing yeah. but engaging mid-tempo little rocker. About yeah, it's a- one of the
1: best. It's one of the best songs on the album.
0: Yeah, it's about a guy she shouldn't like, and she even calls him a dick. But she also does kind of like him and keeps him around long enough to figure out that she really doesn't like him. Mm-hmm. And so it's kind of a uh, it's I don't know if you call it a breakup anthem or it's just kind of like shrugging your shoulders of like, what do you want to do? I I'm, I, I dated a bad boy. Oh, well. Uh, so uh, so good stuff. Uh, opening track, Veronica Mars is a two minute uh, sort of rocked out ditty. Uh, that paints a scene from her what must have been her early childhood because it's all yeah. about uh, b- cultural references of 2004 mm-hmm. and what was going on in her living room at the time so it's kind of like this uh, a statement on uh her early female empowerment tendencies because if you remember veronica mars uh that was a, a big hit uh, show with uh with young women uh right. Kristen with Kristen bell uh in it mm-hmm. so uh there's a the song olympus Which uh, may actually be the best song on the record. Uh, It's uh, it's an has an acoustic opener, and it uh, has the line "I'd still kill for you," and it really is a song about uh, obsession, and uh, you know, calling a a significant other part of her addiction. And I would say it's really strong uh, convention or confessional. Uh, Again, uh, Dacus uh, influence is definitely heavy there. And then the, the other kind of surprising song, probably the loveliest song on the record. And so she, maybe she has a future as a pop chanteuse joiner, uh, which appears near the uh, end of the record. And it's a wash and vocal overdubs and it has, you know, the sentiment, I think I want to save you. Uh, so you can say that, you, it, it, you know, this record, uh, you know, she, she's nothing if not straightforward. Uh, I will, I will definitely, uh, give her that. And, uh, so uh, those are the highlights so i would definitely i would recommend checking out this record uh like a lot of other records that we've covered on the podcast this year it's pretty good uh, i yeah. put it at about three and a half stars out of uh out of five uh, i i think it's worth the investment because yes she is gaining in profile and chances are uh the next record she comes out will be much more successful uh and she's gonna she's gonna gain a following uh, you know, she's kind of like the uh, the modern day equivalent of this, the, you know, the the guys our age will remember the Liz Fairs and the Juliana Hatfield. She's kind of like this generation's yeah. equivalent, uh, equivalent right. of that. Right. And so expect to see it uh, coming to a theater near you. Arturo. Yeah.
1: Yeah. I mean, we, I mean, listen, I, I give it three out of five. Um, I think it's pretty good. I mean, I think she's all right. I think Blonde Shell are okay. I particularly like the songs Veronica Mars and Sepsis. I think those are by far the two best tracks. Uh, Veronica Mars, maybe one of the best uh, day, uh, uh, opening tracks of any album this year. Um, my thing with her is that get back to me when she gets a little older and matures a little bit and develops her own sound. Because right now, she's a little too indebted to her influences. Yeah. She's a little too beholden to 1990s alt rock uh i mean i love that stuff and it's great that there are young modern bands and artists today that are influenced by that but i think she lays on her uh uh, beholdenness to those bands a little too much yeah very 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 heavy on the liz fair influence obvious juliana hatfield obvious a bit of the breeders it's just like you know like like fill in the blank with any 1990s Alternative rock band, especially one fronted by a female, and there you go. And there's Blonde Shell. Uh, yeah, but, I, but but I I think I think she's got talent. Um, like I said, get, get back to me when she comes up with her second album, and hopefully she develops a little bit more of an original sound. And then uh, you know, we'll see where it goes. You know we'll, we'll see what happens. I mean I think it's it's all it's a, it's a decent start. So let's let's see what she does for her next record.
0: Yeah, and as we're wont to say on the Curmudgeon Rock Report about all things late nineties. Ain't nothing like the real thing, baby. Chris here again. We usually end our episodes by inviting you to join our curmudgeonly community page on Facebook. Well, we're picking up our efforts there. Know people just as passionate as us about rock and roll? Invite them to join in the fun. You don't actually need our permission to do so. Also, expect to see a lot more content up there moving forward. Our mission is to engage you, so darn it. We'll engage you like a fire hose, or maybe like a firehouse, if we're going to give love to Gene Simmons. We may also be making a few offers. Want to wear a t-shirt featuring our logo? You may have that opportunity soon. So be a fellow curmudgeon, help us expand our little community, and share your own musings via your own posts. We're at facebook.com groups slash curmudgeon rock. Blind Melon. Uh, let's talk about uh, this band. Uh, you know, we we kind of made light of my uh, my fondness, like overwhelming obsession, uh, based fondness for this uh, band and their first album when I was eighteen years old. But this, uh, but there's merit to why we should discuss them. They were a surprisingly great band, incredibly underrated. Yeah. Uh, most of you have probably heard the song "No Rain." which exists in perpetuity on whatever they call modern rock now. And on some classic rock stations, uh, you probably know of the B girl, which is part of nineties uh, pop culture lore. Uh, but that's probably all, you know, uh, which is too bad because this band uh, had a lot of, of substance and uh, originality uh, to them. Uh, you know, you're talking three guys from Mississippi shack up with a guy from Pennsylvania and a star, A fallen star, as it turns out, from Lafayette, Indiana. And they were like the least Los Angeles band imaginable uh, that (laughs) formed in Los Angeles. And so we just felt that they were worthy of of covering it because, again, there's a personal connection here. Because uh, as I mentioned a little earlier, I think most of you have that band that when you were 18 that you adored that maybe you grew out of or they were that moment in time band. But, you know, you still revere them, but maybe you don't revisit them or you don't have that uh, active connection. Well, uh, hopefully this discussion will, one, inspire you to go uh, seek out Blind Melon's music, but also will inspire you to revisit your own uh, 18-year-old man crush or women crush, uh, as as the case may be, and, uh, you know, just sort of uh, tickle your soul uh, here uh, you know, at at this age, you know, we're talking now to our peers, but also folks in their thirties and even your late twenties. You know, there's yeah. you know a lot happens between eighteen and twenty eight, folks. Yeah. Uh, so uh, there's that. With that said, uh, Arturo is going to set us up. Uh, uh, talk to us, Arturo, about uh, this band and its history and its uh, formation, and and describe this band for the uninitiated, and and tell tell the story of how they got to where they got.
1: Right, yeah. Um. We'll definitely describe the music in detail when we get into the album itself. You know, they're self-titled debut album but as for the blind melon origin story the members of blind melon came from all over the place as you alluded to earlier singer shannon hoon came from lafayette indiana the same hometown as that of axel rose and izzy stradlin of guns and roses more on the hoon rose connection later guitarist roger stevens and bassist brad smith came from west point mississippi and christopher Thorne, the other guitarist came from pennsylvania the four got together in LA, Los Angeles, 1990, and unable to find a drummer they liked, Stevens and Smith sent out for a fellow Mississippi buddy, Glenn Graham, to join them out in LA as their drummer. They settled on the name Blind Melon after bassist Brad Smith's father, who derisively used the term to describe hippies. Uh, <laughs> and his band kind of they kind of were neo hippies, nice. um, the band, uh, the band self-produced and released a four song demo called the Goodfoot Workshop, which got them considerable major record label attention, leading to Capitol Records, signing them in 1991. They got together with legendary Neil Young producer David Briggs. To record an EP's worth of music, but the band were unhappy with what they considered to be a slick and overproduced sound, which is really weird considering this is yeah. David Price we're talking about. Yeah, I was gonna uh, say, yeah. <laughs> I mean, this is this is the Neil Young guy, you know. Yeah. <laughs> but in any case, despite the abandoned EP sessions, the band's profile managed to increase due to a certain world-famous rock star that singer Shannon Hoon was buddies with. Indiana boys, who connected shortly after Hoon moved to L.A., the friendship of Axl Rose and Shannon Hoon opened some doors for Blind Melon. Have you ever heard the Guns N' Roses song, Don't Cry, from Use Your Illusion 1? Well, that's Shannon Hoon doing the backing vocals. He also did the backing vocals on several tracks on both Use Your Illusion albums. This led to Blind Melon embarking on a tour in late 1991 opening for Soundgarden, talk about two
0: completely Yeah, I was going to say that must have been an interesting <laughs> experience.
1: Yeah. Um the band decided to relocate to Durham, North Carolina to work on pre-production and finally and uh, uh, finally hone the songs that would end up on their debut album. They chose to work with Rick Parashar, who produced Pearl Jam's classic debut 10 and recorded the album in Seattle's London Bridge Studio mostly live with minimal overdubs. If you listen to the record now, you can definitely detect a live in the studio, right in your living room feeling, which is one of the beautiful things about that album. Uh, The album finally came out in September, 1992, and didn't sell well after Tones of Home was released as a single. However, when the song No Rain was released as a single in early 1993, it slowly and steadily but surely became a big rock radio hit. After MTV started playing the video, the legendary one with the little girl dressed as a bee, the song became a huge international hit and propelled Blind Melon and their self-titled debut album to mainstream and multi-platinum status uh, no Rain went as far as number 20 in the Billboard pop chart. The, the album went on to sell 4 million copies, so it, they became stars after this. So, Chris, before we dive into the album itself, what of the Blind Melon origin story?
0: Yeah, I, you know, it, it. there's a couple of things about it. Uh, one, it speaks to the power of connections in the music business. I mean, obviously, yes. uh, from what I understand, Axel was a high school classmate of uh, Shannon Hoon's older sister, so uh-huh. that was that was kind of how they uh, their connection. Yeah. That was kind of their connection, but you know, being able to and if you think about it, Shannon Hoon and we'll get into his voice later, but had a he had a beautiful and powerful voice, but he also had a, a really lovely falsetto. If you yeah. think about it in terms of a two part harmony with Axel, yeah, uh, it, it's kind of a perfect uh, insert into "Don't Cry." Uh, yeah, well,
1: if you can make Axel Rose sound good, you're pretty damn talented.
0: Yeah, I was gonna say yeah. <laughs> <laughs> You know, yeah, you know, don't cry. I mean, you know, it, it's the one uh, Guns N' Roses song that proved that they actually were, were from Los Angeles. Yeah, uh, <laughs> I mean, great power ballad, but definitely an LA song. Uh, so there's that, and then also, you know, people don't realize, young people especially, do not realize just how powerful MTV was back in the day, sure, in terms of being able to make an artist, break an artist, and uh, become you know sort of drive cultural relevance uh you yeah. know this uh it, you know as 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 i understand it uh, the uh, the picture the the cover of the debut record is a um a picture of a friend or a relative uh of 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 hoons as a kid uh at a a high school like a a, a school assembly show dressed in this bee costume and so yeah The director of the video took this concept and made her a character and then put uh, her, along with the band, uh, singing and bopping in a bed of flowers. You know, in a a beautiful garden, flowered garden. Uh, And so the kind of psychedelic feel of the song and the video and the visuals and obviously the icon of the bee uh, made them instantly relevant. And not only that, but that song is catchy as hell. Uh, And so... Yeah. It's my least favorite song on the album, but anyway. Yeah, I yeah. mean, I, I guess you could say it's mine, too, uh, because, well, it, it see, that's tricky because it's so much different than the rest of the album, too. Sure. You know, I mean, it's 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 got more of a hippie vibe. It's got more of a pop uh, vibe. It's almost like they did it as with uh, being conscious of getting on the radio in mind. But, hey, right. it sure as hell worked. Yeah. Uh, so uh, there's that. And then, you know, I, they're just... Uh, they were an interesting combination of neo hippie and straightforward classic rock. I mean, you know, there is some bad company uh, lurking yeah. in there. Yeah, uh, right, right. And right. so, you know, straightforward classic rock, but neo hippie jam rock, and then their own kind of unique skittering uh, rhythm, and mm. and their their secret weapon, Roger Stevens. Yeah. Uh, notice how I said Roger Stevens in a very early episode of the Curmudgeon Rock Report. I made the mistake of referring to him as Rogers Nelson. <laughs> Prince which, which, which in is Blind Prince, Melon, which is Prince. Yeah. No, no wonder, man. They really did have some good musical
1: connections in the business. Yeah, I was going to say,
0: holy crap. No, <laughs> yeah. But uh, but no, the guy was a, a genius level uh, melodic uh, a lead line player, and some of his yeah. soloing was was right there. So they had. They had their own quirks to make them uh, original uh, enough. So, yeah, yeah, really interesting uh, origin story. And I I guess part of it, too, is that when you're from Mississippi or if you're from Lafayette, Indiana, if you're not from places where people are from in the music business, you're going to have your own vocabulary and you're going to have your own thing. It comes from, you know, what else do you have to do other than like hang out in a garage and do drugs? while you play yeah. music with friends
1: right and also like of all the bands to have connections with each other guns and roses and blind melon these are two bands whose uh, respective music are so completely different from each other yeah I mean, if, if you listen to blind melon's music it has more in common with, like you know, uh, uh, you know the Southern Rock of the Almond Brothers and the yes. Neo Hippie Jam Band movement of Fish than it does yeah. with anything like sound resembling Guns yeah. N' Roses, you know, Street Punk Metal shit. Yeah, you
0: know? it's, it's it's almost like a more countryish version of the Black Rose.
1: <laughs> yeah, it is. Yeah, in, totally in some in,
0: in some respects, and so yeah, the only the only thing they have in common was, uh, you know, they had they both Axel and uh, Hoon had a very a tuned ear for melody so that right. was the that was the one thing they had in common is that they could find they they could find that melody but in the context they, they found them and couldn't be more different uh for right. sure uh so yeah so that's really uh, blind melon and, and it sets up our, our discussion of this album that I loved it's their self-titled record it's from 1992. uh it didn't break until 1993 and I'll tell the uh, just sort of upfront personal story about it. Uh, I was a drama club kid. Uh, mm-hmm. Maybe not a surprise to the people that know me, but uh, you don't get a voice like this unless you're a nerd in drama club. <laughs> uh, and uh, we had hell week for the show. We were doing the show, working the Studs Terkel influenced musical. Uh, and, you know, I was, you know, end of senior year, I was completely burned out. You know, I was burned out on school and I was working 30 hours a week at a grocery store. And, you know, uh, you know, I was, I was an angry young man and I was a burned out young man and, uh, working this hell week where it's long ass days and I'm really tired. And, uh, one of the uh, girls that was in the show was vibing on that record and brought it in one day and, I found myself immediately intrigued, you know, uh, she played it from the beginning and I was like, "Whoa!" I I was drawn in by that kind of hippie ish vibe. Cause I was into the, I was into the alternative uh, thing at that point, but this was a little softer and yeah, I, it was kind of weird at the same time I made a connection and this is what I do. I'm a free association guy, but uh, an, another album that was getting played a lot that week was uh gish by the smashing pumpkins. Mm. And there, there was a little bit of melodic, overlap in or you know at least in some of the guitar stuff uh believe it or not between those two records at the time I, you know i kind of like you know in a broader classification uh put them uh put them together and so that's what drew me in was was really the guitar work but also the softer nature of it the more melodic more dramatic uh nature of it <laughs> hey drama club dramatic hey get it yeah, uh and so i caught onto the record and eventually became uh obsessed with it uh and it really and, you know, as we'll get into with the lyric, it, it, it had that theme of of, you know, trying to escape your immediate past or your your present and then f- find yourself in a better place eventually. Or having found yourself in a place, accrued having a, you've accrued instant wisdom. And that's something that I was craving. You know, I was I was stuck in whatever, you know, adolescent, you know, underdeveloped uh, uh, romantic longings. Or uh, anger at my parents and you know, not sure what the hell was going on. And so it, it was a great soundtrack when you're 17 going on 18 and all kinds of fucked up.
1: Yeah, yeah, really. I mean, there are other albums that appeal to me on that level. Blind Melon's album didn't appeal to me on that level. It appealed to me more like uh, the, just the blissful hippiness of it and the musicianship. Uh, I'll go into this later when we're talking track by track, but, uh, and I'll probably mention this again when we, uh, get to the end of this episode. But I think what makes Blind Melon so special and unique among all 1990s rock bands is that they were one of the few, if not the only band that bridged the gap between that Southern rock and plus neo hippie jam band sensibility with. And they bridge the gap between that and basically the vulnerability and the sensitivity yes. of alternative in indie rock
0: and grunge, yeah, uh, and it, grunge too. It, it, it yeah. was that vulnerability that that's and the, the angst, perfect word. And the
1: ang- there's a lot of angst, uh, a lot of in, angst, uh, just blind melanoma. But, too. yeah. So they got the l- and that's yeah. what Shan- that's where Shannon Hoon comes in the the angst and the vulnerability and and and, and the sensitivity in his lyrics and the depth of it in his lyrics, yeah, and putting that. Into the vernacular, I guess you would say, of southern rock and neo hippie jam band music. Yeah, and, because, and I'll go into this more in detail as we go into each song. But I think that's what made Blind Melon special, and that's what made what made them appeal to just you know people who like hippie jam band music and southern rock, and it yeah. made them appeal to grungers and alt rock kids as
0: well. Yeah, you, you you articulated that remarkably well. It was all about mood. And yeah. it was that same mood. It was that. It was that confessional and that sort of real, you know, realism. Obviously, the dawn of Nirvana. We talked about Death by Nirvana. That if you were pretentious and contrived, uh, you 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 soon died a quick death. And people, uh, at least for a two or three year period, craved authenticity. And yeah. uh, Hoon and his bandmates had authenticity in spades. Yeah, and again, I think that that's why I made the Smashing Pumpkins connection. Eventually, I made a Pearl Jam connection because I was also obsessed with Pearl Jam's Ten. That was the yeah. other record that was yeah. kind of kind of you know, well. Everybody our age probably had a phase with 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 Pearl Jam's Ten, but that was kind of the parallel record uh, to this. So so that that was really really well said.
1: On this episode, we explored the career of the very underrated Blind Melon. For the next episode, yours truly curmudgeons are closing out the calendar year, which can only mean one thing. It's time to give our picks for the best albums of the year. There will be no parallel universe segment this time, as Chris and I plan to keep things in our universe, and each of us will provide our selections for our top 10 albums of the year. There will be some agreement, but there's bound to be some feisty disagreement as well. If you know us, so join us next time as the Curmudgeon Rock Report close out the old year and ring in the new with the top 10 albums of 2023. All right, released September 1992, not make really making a dent until the following year blind melons self-titled album blind melon track by track let's start track one soak the sin now from the opening dagger riff you already know that this band is steeped in southern rock but when shannon hoon sings about rednecks with southern excess You also know that this band is not out to draw fans of the Marshall Tucker band. Let's put it that way. True (laughs) enough. Like I said earlier, you can hear a bit of the Allman Brothers band and how loose and limber they are. But they pair it with the speedy aggressiveness of the neo-jam band movement of the time, epitomized by bands like Fish. Not even the subtle rhythmic shifts alienate the listener in what is a banging opening track.
0: Chris? Yeah, absolutely. And uh, what you notice, a couple of things you notice right away. Uh, one, you mentioned that looseness in the, yeah. uh, in the in the sort of the the rumbling of of the rhythm section. That's kind of a. Pat- I, I, I like to I like to call it tight looseness. Yeah, tight looseness, and which is and that's kind of the patented uh, blind melon rhythm. They had yeah. that kind of but dump but dump but dump dump you know yeah. kind of uh, under uh, under current. But it was more, it was a little bit more unstable than that. <laughs> right. you know, but they they somehow kept it together. But also you you realize just how articulate uh, a, a singer, Shannon Hoon was and the power and the versatility of the voice. He had an emotional resonance mm-hmm. and, you know, yeah. he could, he could capture things like he had a very high registry at a very low register. He could growl uh, with the best of them. He was a performer. He wasn't just yeah. a singer. He was a performer. And so this was just, uh, the band at its energetic best uh it also establishes by the end of the song Roger Stevens as a star uh you know the way he kind of rides the groove uh, towards the end with this with this beautifully uh, uh what would you call it it's almost like a bell-like quality to the tone yeah. of his guitar and sure. it just it it has a it it doesn't really crackle and burn it's it's more like a slow burn but it's right. uh, it's it's a really passionate uh sound and a really passionate uh, style, But it's uh, but it's athletic, too. It's it, it's it's very agile and uh, very spookily melodic uh, uh, song, uh, or especially right at the end. The outro uh, is a real growler. Uh, yeah. And, you know, it, it kind of builds to that, you know, the rest of the song, you know, might sort of be mid energy and then it gets into this sort of angry coda. Right, uh, which is kind of something that they do, and uh, they they build to these great outros throughout the record. Yeah, and, and oh, it's great!
1: Just, I, yeah, one one song yeah. after another, you have awesome outros. Yeah, awesome, Dan, awesome Dan outros, brilliant at outros. Yeah, All absolutely. Right. Speaking of the next one, track two, "Tones of Home," Blind Melon bring the funk. That's an underrated aspect of their music was yeah. the funk. Funk great. was a big part of Blind Melon's sound. Blind Melon bring the funk and dose it with a generous helping of chunky, white boy, hippie groove. Hoon sings of his disenchantment with conventional American society that's effectively a smiling, hippie counterpart to the dark, grungy vibes of the time, but is no less disaffected. Uh, if we can retrograde our commurge- or curmudgeonly parallel universe to the early 1990s, this song would have been a huge rock radio hit that it deserved to be in real life.
0: Chris? Yeah, and it did. It did reach minor hit status. You know, once no no rain hit, uh, they followed the and they they chased that back up with uh, with tones of home. And so it, it did have a little bit of uh, that fall '93 had a little bit of a revival. Uh, it's my favorite song on the record. It's probably the best song on the record too. And it's it aspires to confidence. I only wish I had. Yeah, uh, there's a there's a confidence of of knowing who you are, knowing what you've been, not necessarily liking what you you thought that you knew when you were a kid and now you're standing on your own uh, two feet. And so it really, it, you know, it's like, it, it really captured where I wanted to be when I was 18 and a uh, uh, lyric at the end is just fabulous uh, where he says, all my friends, they patronize me. They say, yo, Hey boy, have you found what you're looking for? It seems they don't really know me because it's here. It's what they can't see. Mm. And so almost talking about like faith in himself, and yeah. you know, again, not going with the 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 crowd. It's like there's tones of home, mm-hmm. and there's different types of tones. There's the tones that you keep with you, you know, the hometown values, yeah. and knowing thyself, and and sort of vowing your upbringing. And then there's the, there's the tones of home, the stuff that you don't like, all the caca and all the bullshit. Yeah. Uh, and so uh, the way that he rides that, and then again, you know, there's the 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 bridge and the the solo on this is just it, really, really funky and really skittering and just, yeah. uh, danceable. Yeah, it's, sure. It's danceable Roger Stevens. Yeah. Uh, and yeah. just, you know, really, really just, you know, great, great stuff. One of my favorite guitar solos of all time. It is a song, uh, even now, uh, you know how like there's songs even in your youth, uh, that you listen to so much that yeah. the earworms stay with you. Like you'll just be in the shower on a random Tuesday. Yeah. And like, uh, a, a part of it will, will, will come to you Mm. you know and and so uh i i always hear that line about uh, i always thought this would be the land of milk and honey but i come to find out it's all hate and money Uh, (laughs) i i i I always like once in a while that part will come to my head and it's (laughs) and and again it's part of it is just because of the great vocal performance on it and the conviction with which hoon sang the guy really was an amazing singer uh, oh, he was a
1: fantastic singer yeah. and frontman and personality. Like he, he was the the, the face of the band for. Yeah, yeah, he
0: he 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 had charisma and spades for better or worse, which we'll talk. All right, about a track
1: bit. three i wonder is the name of the song we can talk endlessly about the southern fried and funk inspired rhythms and grooves on these on this album but the ballads are just as memorable this song not only has more than one monstrous riff that rivaled anything leonard skinner's trio of guitarists came up with but also are just as elegiac and stately yeah. It even has a free esque breakneck speed tempo change that comes in the middle unlike Free Bird, where it comes at the end. And that little shift in dynamic separates this song and Blind Melon in general from the cliche, from other cliche Southern rock fodder that was out there.
0: Chris? There's actually two shifts in dynamics in this song, yeah. which, which makes it amazing. So it starts off with this, uh, like you said, elegiac uh, acoustic uh, opening, yeah. uh, where it's just basically an acoustic guitar and, and Hoon's voice. Uh, leading up and it, it, you know talking about loss of innocence and uh, growing up becoming somebody else, you know again a, a big theme of this album, of you know he was 24 when he made it, so it was kind of like, oh to be 24 and free from what I was when I was 18. Yeah, uh, but so you get that, and then it, it builds and like you said, it builds into that sort of rocked out, uh, almost up tempo uh, chorus and and middle section. Uh, of the song and then at the end you get this beautifully floating psychedelic outro that uh, that that hooks off the line i only wanted to be 16 and free which when i was 18 uh that that line more on more than one occasion uh, made me cry yes Mm. i i I was a sensitive wimpy kid uh (laughs) but but that but and then again it's it's one of uh, rogers it not he 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 leaves the hippie and he becomes more. It's almost like a Dickie Betts type of solo. You know, it's almost, you know, uh, Allman right. Brothers, but like, you know, like Dickie had those, uh, like Sweet Melissa types, type yeah. solos that he yeah. could do yeah. uh, where it has this, it's almost like the guitar is crying along with whom. Uh, right. It's a really, really neat trick. So, yeah, this is one of the more uh, ambitious songs on the record because it has those two shifts, but yeah. it makes for a perfect song suite because of that. Right. All
1: right, track four, Paper Scratcher. The appropriately titled Paper Scratcher has this chicken scratch riff that introduces a barn burner song with a lovely melodic chorus that would not feel out of place On a Black Crows record at the time. Now, the Black Crows were the other neo-Southern rock band that was big at the time. But for as good a lyricist as Chris Robinson was, Shannon Hoon didn't have his anger or bluster and seemed to have what I would call charismatic vulnerability. It wasn't just all like I said before. It wasn't just alternative rockers and grungers who could be introspective, as Blind Melon made it okay for rock subgenres previously known for their machismo to show some introspection. Chris,
0: yeah, this is another one of those songs that pr- proved they had a flair for the dramatics because I think yeah. chicken scratch is a great way to describe that uh, yeah. that riff. I had it. I have it in my notes as twitchy. Uh, <laughs> yeah. It starts off really, really twitchy. But then, then gets really, really pretty with yeah. this you know, layered two-part harmony, which I believe Hoon is is doing both parts, but it's very lovely. Yeah. Uh yeah. and uh you know, and it's it, it again, it has that sort of uh, I don't know what to expect from the world, uh uh. Pro, in in the process of losing innocence type vibe right and then and then again it has another outro that it, it's almost arena like arena rock lighter rock it's it's a little right. faster than that but it has like an arena uh light your lighters almost bon jovi type of sensibility uh right. in terms of the grandeur uh of it and so uh that's what this this band you know it, they had subtlety but they also had grandeur and mm-hmm. uh, again, another uh, standout uh, performance by Roger Stevens. Uh, notice that there's a uh, that there's a trend here. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know, a, 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 th- a third of the way through the record, there's a definite trend as far as the guitar quality right. uh, of this record.
1: Yeah. All right. So, what is next? What is next is track number. Is it number five? Yes, it's track yes. number five. It is Dear number five. Old Dad. Dear Old Dad, Shannon Hoon wears his existential angst on his sleeve to the level of desperation on this track, and the band nimbly backs him up with what at this point is clear to be the band's sound, subtly complex, southern fried funk rock. But the beauty about Blind Melon is that their complexity isn't show-offy in fact it has a point it has a di- it has a direction and it serves the song rather than yes. vice versa and th- and that's a tricky thing to do that a lot of especially today a lot of contemporary bands and artists just can't grasp that dynamic
0: yeah no they can't and uh i think this song for me is defined by Glenn Graham's drums i yeah. think that there's a there's there's a laid back jazziness even to uh to uh, his drumming on this that it's that it, it's one of the hippier songs on the record it's yeah. uh, you know groovier and hippier and and all of that maybe like just in a conventional sense as far as i know and actually i remember this now there was a video for this yes. song that came out before no rain so oh, wow. it was one of the attempts to break them that didn't quite uh didn't quite work i remember this now it did, i don't know if they formally released it as a single but they did try to get it uh and mm-hmm. on and mtv Ah uh, hmm. didn't didn't quite work, but there's a maybe it's besides no rain. It's the more most conventional song on the record, right. but right. it also it has a sentimentality uh, to it that uh, you know it, which talks to a diversity of 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 Hoon's range as a lyricist that he could get, you know that he could get really uh, confessional, but he could also be a little goofy too, right? And so uh, that maybe objectively, I guess you could say. You know, if a critic, you know, if, if a critic coming to this for the first time was to listen to this record, they might say that this is the best song on the record. Yeah. Well, <laughs> they would be wrong. They probably be, would be wrong because the next song might be is, is is definitely better than that one. And I
1: think the next song is the best song on the yeah, whole album. You, you and a lot Tra-
0: of other people. Yeah. Yep.
1: Yeah. Track Track number six, Change. Uh, The acoustic, I mentioned Marshall Tucker Band, the acoustic riff to the Marshall Tucker Band's Can't You See is adopted and adapted by Blind Melon on this song to startling effect on what is their greatest ballad. And like I said, in my opinion, the best song on the whole album. We live in a time where American redneck culture is more insufferable and toxic than it's ever been but here is shannon hoon in 1992 saying these are just sad people who are afraid of change uh if hoon had lived on to modern times i wonder if he would have felt the same or would have had the same opinion anyway nevertheless it's a beautiful gorgeously played Gorgeously sung and gorgeously rendered ballad that proves rock music can be just as empathetic as the most gentle folk ballad. Chris? Yeah,
0: and it, it's it's one of the better songs ever written about breaking free from depression. Yeah, uh, you know yeah. F- for sure. And and the idea of of well the uh, the way that I broke it was that I embraced uh that that change. But right. you know, for me, you know, when I was eighteen, I was I was angry and depressed and probably should have been on drugs even then yeah. i as in psychotropics folks uh right. but <laughs> um but it it was aspirational for me it was it was really kind of an inspiring song you know this idea of you know uh, when they say hey you know look at him i'll never live that way it's okay they're just afraid of change right uh, just really, uh, really, really. Uh, well, it's sweet. really
1: mo- It's really moving. It's got yeah, a lot of pathos to it. Yeah, you know, and he, yeah, I mean, he, he was a, such an underrated lyricist. You know, yeah, singer. under
0: underrated lyricist, underrated singer, and just you're right, moving. And one of the things that makes it moving is they bust out the mandolin. Yeah, and not just the <laughs> REM effect. Uh, it, yeah, it, it really adds. It's it's a perfect combi- It's a com- perfect companion to Hoon's voice and the message of the song. It yeah. just it, it you know it 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 because the the sentiment comes from an organic place it's right. it's tr- it's transcending your own misery and yep. just there's a loveliness to the mandolin that that sort of mirrors that transcendence it's it's it, it's pretty cool but uh, I I still tones of home is you, you know because of personal connection for me is still my favorite song but change is a very close second
1: yeah right all right track number seven the big hit no rain I stand by why why by what I said in this episode's parameter setter and intro. It still sounds to me like a low rent and Grateful Dead. But mm. I still think it's the worst song on the album, and it's the track before "Change" that, in our retrofitted parallel universe, would have been the huge hit. That's just me,
0: Chris. Yeah, actually, it's the song after "Change" on the record. And
1: yeah, yeah, uh, no, but "Change" the uh, uh,
0: "Change" is the one before "No Rain." So it's the oh, track oh, I got gotcha, you, I got gotcha, you, I got gotcha. you. Yeah. My bad hey yeah. listening dig it uh <laughs> so anyway uh yeah I, I like i said i i think that it's a good song and what i like about it is there's there's a kind of an ironic uh sad you know uh, it, it's this juxtaposition of an ironic sadness next to a undying hopefulness right uh and it, it it may be this the 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 more purely most purely hopeful song on the record yeah you know it's not it, you know there's it's not, there's other songs on here where he wears his wisdom on his sleeves. Right. Uh, but this is, this is a subtly wise, uh, wise song. And, and, you know, clearly, like you said, it, 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 it apes the dead, but it also has, you know, I mean, the pop hook was not manufactured by accident. I don't think. Yeah. I mean, this, this must have been uh, programmed again on the radio, but again, you know, the amazing thing is if it hadn't have been for that little, uh, overweight girl in the B costume hitting yeah. MTV. Uh, probably never happens. Uh, uh, so
1: I, I wonder if J- Jerry, I wonder if Jerry Garcia, cause he was alive during this time, Jerry Garcia. I wonder if he heard this song and said, Hey man, that comes that guitar solo comes straight out of my tablature.
0: <laughs> yeah. Cause pretty, pretty it really does. Much, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Pretty much. I mean, that's uh, yeah. The, the end of it. Yeah. That's that. Yeah. That's pretty much uh, the finger picking. I mean, that's American beauty at its finest. <laughs>
1: yeah. All right. Track number eight deserted this rocker doesn't quite reach the heights that the tracks on the albums first half reach but the interplay between the band is as stellar as always and their patented or what i call their patented tight looseness quote unquote is on display here especially as the song slows to an end again awesome outros
0: chris yeah yeah exactly and it, it, it it speaks to that rhythmic consistency that i mentioned that that blind melon had a patented beat yeah, you, know, you call it tight looseness, but it has that kind of padunk padunk. It's it's very similar in rhythm to Tones of Home, uh, not as good a song as, as Tones of Home, but it also it, but it does have a, a jamminess to it, and sure. and it gets kind of in in a way a a, a, a tad bit lysergic as yeah. a, a, in in its middle part, and then where it repeats in the outro, uh, right. you know, has this almost like uh, almost you know, stretching, slowing, syrupy kind of uh, mm. kind of vibe. Uh, right. To it uh, You know that's uh, You know and so the idea is that It speaks to you know that rhythm Even though it's not the greatest song Because it's so well constructed And because it's yeah. so consistent It it really kind of augments this record It's by now you know you're listening to a better Than average record and possibly a great record Yes uh, no, by, by, by this point by, by the time you yeah. get to track 8 uh, You know that you may be listening To something special I definitely knew I was listening To something special yeah. by this point Right.
1: Yeah. Track 9, Sleepy House, one word. Uh, from here on, the album settles into a mid-tempo groove. The sitar intro establishes the song's hazy, woozy, slightly psychedelic vibe, which is especially apt considering the song's title. But it's also lush and warm as the trippy guitar textures weave exquisitely with Shannon Hoon's soulful vocal delivery. It's one of the most gorgeous tracks on the whole album, I
0: think. Chris? Yeah, ab- absolutely. It's it's just got this beautiful stretchiness to it. Mm. Uh, and here again, you know, Roger Stevens uh, adds another layer to it. It's almost slidey. I don't yeah. actually think it is a slide guitar, but it's it's, it's yeah. it, it has a slidey slinkiness to it uh that really and you know that lead part it it runs in parallel with hoon's voice it's a really really neat effect uh but but it's also again it's it's about that emotional uh, vulnerability that line if i can only show you how i feel then you wouldn't bother me
1: yeah uh you
0: know you know those kinds of things you know that that this this uh, uh you know bashful young man syndrome yeah which i could yeah. definitely uh, uh relate to and then again we we keep talking about the outros here they almost uh uh border on indian uh raga yeah, vibes sure, sure and which is a little it, bit of a it's, surprise
1: it's the, it's the psychedelic song on the album
0: oh yeah it's absolutely the psychedelic song on the album again it's that it's that parallel uh lead guitar ar- harmonic uh part uh, along with uh along with hoon's vocal performance uh really really special track number 10 holy man one word
1: again (laughs) it was only a matter of time before the influence of Appalachian folk music would make its appearance and it does so on this track in the before it delves into blind melons patented southern funk rock the the melody of this song is what is most striking both in the verses and the chorus actually melodic richness in his vocal delivery something shannon hoon rarely gets credit for
0: chris yeah, it, it's uh, basically uh it's an uh, ironic gospel. Uh yeah. is, especially that first verse uh you know where it's it's the soaring uh vocal but essentially what he what he's doing is he he's not downright discounting religion, he's just saying that I can't get from the priest what he thinks I need or yeah, what I think right. I need. It's just not going to happen in right. that relationship. So it's not an outright rejection of religion, but it's uh just sort of yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, again, once again, a wise statement of, of independence. But uh, sure. but yeah, it's, it's a neat trick. And like you said, you know, given that they're Mississippi boys, it's only a matter. It was only a matter of time before they they, they snuck this uh, this influence. In. And and yeah. so it really adds to the record. So like Sleepy House and Holy Man back to back. Now, that's a vibe. Yeah,
1: <laughs> definitely. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Number which 11, which, which, which yeah. makes the
0: next song kind of a bum trip. Kind of oh, totally
1: does. It's, yeah. My, the other song I don't like on the only other song I don't like Seed to a Tree, track number 11. I'm not a fan of this song. Dopey riff, clunky lyrics, cliched imagery. It's also a bit too meandering and plotting for my tastes. It kind of goes nowhere. I guess this is what people who don't like Blind Melon think Blind Melon sound like all the time.
0: You know, yeah pr- probably and uh, the one redeeming quality is that he uh gives all these rambling thoughts while he's taking a shit you know, he, he, he <laughs> yeah. pre- pronounces that he's on the shitter in well, the opening line I of the shit. song yeah, <laughs> yeah 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 e- exactly and so but again you know it's it, it reminds that theme again of moving away from what he was and it's kind of a final screw-off uh yeah. to i guess a romantic relationship and right. uh and just sort of, you know, using that metaphor, the seed to a tree that yeah. I once was a seed, now I'm becoming a tree. Uh, mm-hmm. but also this there's almost this uh mournfulness that he can't go back and confront his demons that he was dealing with back then. It's like, right. okay, I've reconciled them, but I'd like to go back and and head them straight on. Yeah. So exactly. that's the only that's the only so one, the taking the shit part, but two, there is a little bit of depth there. It's just not a great song. It's just a it, it plots. Yeah, you, exactly. That was that's the right word, plotting.
1: Yeah. Track number
0: twelve, drive. Now songs, Very
1: yeah, well, songs named or containing the word drive in them are usually pretty great. <laughs> you have the Beatles Drive My Car, you have the cars drive, you have REM's drive, yeah. you have the breeders driving on nine. Well, There's also Sammy Hagar's I Can't Drive 55. Oh, come
0: on. Which is the best of those songs. Oh, come on. Get out of here. (laughs) I can't drive 55. Put your ass in the city joint.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Good stuff. Nevertheless, Blind Melon follows in the good tradition of this word with their own song called Drive. Uh, a meditative almost mournful mid-tempo conversation between two people in a crumbling friendship it's powered by one of the loveliest lead guitar lines on the whole album that haunts the song in much the same way shannon hoon's angst does chris
0: yeah and and this does contain some gr- some great slide work from stevens uh yeah. and it, it again it, it has that Skinnered, uh, Black Crow's kind of, you know, this is definitely the bluesiest yeah, uh, song right. on the record. Right, it gets there, right, right. you know, I mean, Holy Man has that kind of gospel blues vibe, but this is yeah. like straightforward blues rock and proves that they could do it very, very well, which is funny because it has that kind of rage in the beginning part and then it goes yeah. hippie. Yeah, <laughs> it goes well, hippie that's, in the course. They were all
1: about. I mean, they were. Yeah, they always. They never went too far with the anger. Shannon Hoon always wanted to balance lyrically at least yeah. balance the anger with you know tenderness.
0: Yeah, but and also another dynamic, uh, another example of how they were very, very talented and very, very smart about how they shifted dynamics. Right. Uh, that they knew how to build songs from disparate, uh, seemingly disparate parts, and right. you know, and then the, the mood. It's like a mood salad.
1: Right, <laughs> uh, and, but,
0: but, you know, a lot, a lot of the elements. And, and of course, by that, this point in the record, you're like, you know, this might be a damn near, near classic. And then when you're 18, you're like, oh boy, you know, it's like, you know, uh, uh I live in this record. This record is about me. And, yeah. and I'm not kidding. You know, maybe I was delusional folks, but I think we, again, we've all had that experience of like you know, thinking that yeah. we're the only one that this yeah, album applies to. Yeah. And th- this, 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 this record spoke to me. And, yeah, and yeah. where I was emotionally. Uh, right. <laughs> speaking of which, let's get to the next uh, song, <laughs> the, the 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 album closer.
1: Yeah, the album closer, "Time," uh, track number thirteen, Blind Melon's classic uh, self titled debut, which is his ends in epic form with "Time," a song that encapsulates all the best parts of Blind Melon's intoxicating sound. The Southern rock riffs, the funk grooves, the jazzy syncopations and rhythm shifts, the vulnerability and angst normally associated with alternative and indie rock, all puts it all together into a satisfying and glorious whole. It's also, it's a song that ragingly cascades, but then ends in a slow burn that leaves one breathless and thinking that they've just heard an all time rock classic.
0: Yes. Yep. Stevens ends the record again on another uh, strong note with his coda. Uh, but this is definitely the darkest song on the record. I mean, it's basically a good old ditty about stalking. Uh, you know, a couple of lyrics on there. You know, my mind is playing tricks on me all the time to let you know that I am real. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and uh, not only that, but there's there's the imagery of him, uh, uh, uh you know, taking a pee on the porch while watching you, watching you from the bushes where you can't see me. Uh, and and another line of, are you fed up with me? So yeah. so basically, he 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 ain't taking rejection. Well, e- <laughs> e- either that or the girl just doesn't know that she's that he she's rejected him. Yeah. Uh, so it, it's just some pretty dark shit. <laughs> yeah.
1: So yes, there was a follow up to this amazing album. It came out in nineteen ninety five in the spring. I remember I was still in college, and so was you. So were you, Chris? And the name of the album is Stoop. Chris, tell us a little bit about Soup.
0: <laughs> yeah, and actually, this album came out in September of 1995. Really? I thought it was spring. Yeah. Nope, it was September of 1995. It came out oh. right at the beginning of our sop- our junior years at Syracuse oh. University. Okay, uh, and obviously, because I was so in love with the uh, with the first record, I eagerly anticipated this release, thinking it would be the greatest thing ever, because this yeah. band was the greatest thing ever. And yeah. of course, they were going to grow. And what happened? I was sorely disappointed Um, <laughs> and not because it was a bad record. It just, one, it wasn't what I was expecting, but two, it wasn't anywhere near as accessible. This was a uh, story of this record was, you know, by then, you know, they were enjoying their their high profile and, uh, you know, they had a convention originally by developing their sound. And that I think they maybe they felt cornered. And right. wa- wanted to uh, eschew even further, so they uh, moved to New Orleans and uh, got more experimental. They, they brought in some brass band uh, stuff. They did some folk. Uh, yeah. They did a little bit more acoustic uh, type of uh, type of vibe. Uh, they brought in some strings, uh, those mm-hmm. types of things. But the songs themselves were kind of a mashup, and kind of, you know, there there were shifts in dynamics. They just weren't as smooth. And they were more—they were more startling and a little bit more psychotic. I guess it's no coincidence that uh, they have admitted uh, the surviving members of the band that they were doing a lot of drugs, uh, yeah, at, not at just Shannon Hoon,
1: the others, not do. not
0: just Shannon Hoon, but the but yeah. the band as a whole. But you know, as I said, you know they were looking to his chew convention. Here's a great quote from Hoon uh, from an Indianapolis Star interview that he did in September 1995, which is a month before, as we we'll established, he uh, he died. He says, "Quote." You see, some of the critics, they, instead of falling over their tongue, they quickly like they quickly spit the album out as a piece of shit. And to me, it's kind of just it's obvious that the person that doesn't have the patience to really sit down and listen to anything more than one time. And it's like it's that whole don't bore us, get to the chorus type of mentality. So, I mean, to me, I was always a fan of records that you had to kind of sit and soak with them for a little while. I always liked that about Pink Floyd records. Uh, You could never really figure out why you liked it, but you always first for a certain kind of mood, you would always put one of those records on like saucer full of secrets, which is kind of weird. But anyway, uh, there, there was always this mood that maybe only came around like once or twice a week, but it was the kind of mood that ended up being like three or four times a week. And then the next thing you knew the thing was permanently locked into your CD player. I just, yeah, we were definitely aware of that though. I'm in a band where fortunately enough, there's five songwriters. So there's never just one guy writing all the stuff. So it's never monotonous. And sometimes people just want some people like to hear bands that repetitively play the same songs basically over and over just with different words. And I think that we're a little bit different than that, Uh, which is which is kind of funny because he's like uh, what he's describing is the same process that I went through with, with the, the first blind melon record of like, Whoa, yeah. you know? Yeah. And then he's like, well, and we're going to get away from that accidentally, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. you know? So uh, it's kind of ironic and it's a little bit, a little bit sad you know, they, they were, they wanted to take on the world, but they just didn't have by then, they just didn't have the appropriate focus and they were on mission, but they were, they were rambling, ambling off, off the, off the path. Uh, by then uh yeah i mean
1: mean, to me to me soup like what i mean recording in new orleans was apt because when it sounds like to me they were going for it they're trying to get their take that that their blind melon sound and have it warped by two factors one the weird cajun funk of dr john and the weird southern gothic folk of the band and mash those two together and inject them into the blind melon sound and screw it up. And they did do that. They succeeded in doing that, but the songwriting just wasn't quite up to up to par because right. it couldn't bring the disparate elements together enough. However, I really do like the single Galaxy. Yeah. because it has that light and shade and it does have the, the progressive leanings that the whole album is going for, but it encapsulated all. It encapsulates it all into one really good three or three and a half minute song. Yeah, it's it's it's, it's it's efficient. It, it's efficient, and it has. It, it's got that light and shade effect that's reminiscent less of Led Zeppelin, but oddly more of Jane's Addiction, especially yeah. in the really melodic chorus part of it. Yeah. Um, and, so that, that's why I always likened that song too. I really love "Galaxy." I think it's one of the more underrated yeah. singles of the 1990s. Yeah. But as really a whole, is. as a whole, I agree with you. "Soup" is uh, is a bit missing. It's a great idea that just doesn't coalesce because yeah, the band members are all yeah. fucked up. They weren't writing good songs at that
0: point. Yeah, I mean, unfortunately, "Soup" is an app title uh, for the record. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I will say this: I'll give it up for one more song on the record called "Skinned." Which mm. is which is a country ditty about the uh, inspired by the serial killer Ed Gein, who yeah. was who was most famous for skinning his victims and turning the skin into furniture, yeah,
1: and, and, and
0: other household items that they found. Yeah. I think they found a lamp, or yep. uh, they they found a table that was made out of skin and bone. Uh, yeah, you know, those those types of things, and so uh, so kind of a funny uh, take on that. It's, it's a it's a pretty little ditty about a serial killer so uh you know at their best they still had that kind of sense of humor and that kind of
1: right
0: yeah at that point it's not so much about wisdom so much as it is about decadent living uh, mm. I i think that that's kind of what kind of crept into the songs uh there but again uh love them for the ambition uh love them for the experimentation uh not so much on the result uh, which is really really disappointing because it's You know, I can't, you know, you think about like, you know, we've done an album or we've done an episode on great first records. Yeah. And, uh, you know, this was just a total bum crash coming off, coming off that debut record. Uh, A really, really hard crash. So incredibly disappointing.
1: Yeah. Well, (laughs) the disappointment gets greater in the Blind Melon story. Uh, Starting in 1993, just as the band uh, hit it big like we just alluded to Blind Melon fell into the usual rock star trappings of drug and alcohol excess and singer Shannon Hoon in particular fell victim to addiction various stints in drug rehab were unfortunately unsuccessful for Hoon going against his latest uh drug counselor's advice the band went on tour in the fall of 1995 Hoon eventually died of a cocaine-induced heart attack on the band's tour bus on October 21st in New Orleans at the age of 28 had he died just one month earlier he would have been a member of the 27 yes. club um, it took several years for the band amidst much internal band friction to realize that Shannon was really irreplaceable, irreplaceable yeah as not only the band singer and lyricist but as their creative figurehead they officially broke up in 1999 however In 2006, the band reunited with a new singer named Travis Warren and a year later started touring again. In 2008, Blind Melon released their third official album called For My Friends, which I must admit I I never listened to. They toured through both the US and Europe during that year and Warren left the band after the tour concluded. Travis Warren returned to the fold two years later as Blind Melon played sporadic shows toward the end of 2010. In 2012, they toured South America and Europe. In 2018, guitarist Christopher Thorne said on a podcast that the band was working on songs for a new album. In 2019, instead of what would have been their fourth album, Blind Melon released a standalone single called Way Down and Far Below. This was followed by four more singles that spanned from 2019 through 21, and we haven't heard from them since. Chris?
0: Yeah, and it should be mentioned, by the way, that they did have one additional release in 1996. It was a B-sides and uh, outtakes unreleased Mm, album called Nico. Uh, Basically, they were emptying out the coffers at that point as as a tribute to... uh, to uh, shannon hoon and uh, yeah. also in honor of uh his newborn daughter he had right. he had just become a father uh, before he died and he, his daughter's name was nico uh you know it, you know it talks about his his rock and roll sensibilities for sure yeah, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. right there but yeah it you know it is a shame that uh that this band if they could have gotten their heads on straight they still had a future because galaxy was a modest hit yeah. at least on alt rock charts yeah. And they still had a profile and they always could have had that hey you remember those B-girl guys uh yeah. revival. And <laughs> yeah. you know, you never know they could have been able to score a comeback and or at least go on on the nostalgia touring circuit, you know, you still have the bands like uh well, I was going to say St- Soundgarden but eh, not Soundgarden anymore. But, you know, like even the Weezer's and the, the sort of right. the uh the bands that haven't been big for a while but still get guys like us to uh, buy tickets, yeah. you know, dad rock right. bands you know yeah, that yeah. all all these bands have become dad rock bands and I think bond Mellon would be a, a very successful dad rock band had they uh had they made it through and so mm. it's it's a damn shame and uh you know don't do drugs, boys and girls uh but at least <laughs> well, we don't, have the- don't
1: don't do some drugs certain drugs you shouldn't do
0: right yeah, some <laughs> drugs you shouldn't do uh mm. which is a damn shame because sh- uh, Shannon hoon was uh, he was on his way he he could have been a true rock and roll hero. he had the goods he yeah. he was a star he was a bright shining star in the rock and roll uh, galaxy and uh his uh, sensibilities are forever captured on the album the self-titled album blind melon uh go out and get it if you haven't heard it uh or or hit the streaming services or hell hit youtube i'm sure it's all over uh, youtube as well sure. uh check out this album uh you will not uh, be disappointed uh you know we're, we're we're showing our age with this one But uh, for a reason, it's a damn good record that stands the test of time. And with that, uh, as we do at the end of these episodes, uh, we uh, encourage everyone to join our uh, curmudgeonly community on Facebook. Uh, You know, good times up there. Uh, uh, Arturo just put up his list of the 1995 studio albums of what he thinks are the best studio albums. And that's actually a really good list. Uh, Long. Uh, uh, oh, almost, yeah, a lot of great, great albums push. came out that year. Yeah, almost 50 uh, albums on, on there. And anybody leaves out a couple conveniently. <laughs> you well, know, I uh, mean, the, the, I mentioned the three that I left out for good yeah. reason. But if you want yeah. me to explain, go to our Facebook page, page and ask, and I'll tell you why. Yeah, you absolutely. That. And that's at facebook.com slash groups slash Uh You can also drop us a line if you also have fond remembrances. And here's a challenge, folks. We really want to know what your... Uh, 18 and fried-eyed album was that, that you thought only belonged to you, and was the best CD you owned when you were 18. Uh, curmudgeonrock at gmail.com. Uh, Twitter. We're 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 fading into that great uh, night, but we're still there uh, for good reasons. Like guys like Super70 Sports uh, that puts out some of the funniest content on the entire web. Uh, so anyway, check us out there. We you know we still uh, contribute uh, posts once in a while. And then, yeah, look out for uh, some some Spotify reference. We'll probably put this up there uh, at some point. So uh, with that, uh, we will talk to everyone in a couple weeks when we and uh, myself and our throw we reveal our top 10 records of this year.
1: Yeah. There'll be some overlap. There'll be some differences as well. Yep. There you go, folks.